Let's go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read a, a few portions of Scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. I shared with our leaders last night some of this, and uh, I'm going to continue along the same theme at the beginning of the year. Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew 28, uh, verse 19. Just remain standing a little bit longer. Thank you to our wonderful technical team that always do a great job with the slides and the audio and the video. We've got a great team here and uh, we're thankful for all those that can join online as well. Uh, my wife Melanie's not feeling well tonight and so she's online. And so this is one of the benefits of having, having online streaming. Some people are able to join when they go away on holidays. But just remember, the Bible says how beautiful it is when we gather together. There's something about when we're together. And I don't know, you know, all this technology and all that, it's all good. But don't let it replace the gathering together. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said unto His disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now let's go to Matthew 28, verse 19. Got it in two versions there. The King James Version which I tend to read from the King James Version a lot because when I was in Sunday school, that's how they taught us all our memory verses and things like that. And uh, I know that there's other versions that are good and they not as many these and thous. And sometimes it's good because sometimes we can hide behind the these and the thous. And when you read it in the real plain English, it can be much more confronting. But the King James Version says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And the New King James Version says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. The King James says, Teach all nations. The New King James says, Make disciples. It's the same thing, just different words. And so I want to minister on this title, Go Make Disciples. And we're going to go to a lot of Scripture we're going to go through tonight, but go make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you would speak to us, challenge us. Lord, wherever we are in our Christian walk, Lord God, as we open your word, that Lord, it would speak into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may have noticed above the doors of the church as you leave, there's a, a couple of words up there and it says, go make disciples. The reason why those words are above the door is because that's what we, we ought to, what, that's what we ought to be doing when we leave church. I'm going to say this and hopefully it makes sense. Church is not a place that we come to. It is a place that we go from. The emphasis should not be on coming to church, although we come to church, it's, that's not the goal to come to church. 
the, the, the thing is, church is not a place that we come to. It's a place that we go from. We come to church to hear the preaching of the word. We come to church to hear the word of God, to correct our life, to reprove, even rebuke and instruct. All of those things, the word of God does a work in our hearts. And then when we leave, we go fueled. Everyone say fueled. All right, now, the, the summer nats were on recently in, uh, in Canberra, and uh, you hear all the cars driving around with their really loud engines and all of that. And if you go down to Braddon, you'll see all of the, the hot rods down there. They're all um, along the side of the road, and all the men and the boys, they stand around there, and they look at the cars, you know? You know, kick the tires, have a look, and they open the bonnet, and everyone stands around and goes, ooh, ah, look at that, you know, look at that big engine and all of that. And then somebody says, well, can you start it up, Brother Arthur? And so you know, he jumps in there, he starts it up, and, and everyone, oh, wow, listen to that, you know, listen to all that power. But you know what? What good is all that power under the bonnet if it's not going anywhere? Just revving the engines. And we've got to make sure we as Christians don't just come to church on a Sunday, rev our engines with all the power. The Bible says that we are endured with power from on high, that we don't come to church, rev our engines. Everyone says, wow, and then we don't end up going anywhere. Church is not a place that we come to. It is a place that we go from. So that is why those words are above the door to remind you that once we leave this place, we are disciples of Jesus, but we are leaving to go and make more disciples of Jesus. That is our purpose. I mean, if, if that's not what we're called to do, Jesus would have just raptured us up to heaven, but he left us here, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, and that is our mission. Go make disciples. And that is the mission of our church. If you want to know our mission, it is simply this. Go make disciples. Now, we read two portions of Scripture, one in Matthew chapter 16 and one in Matthew chapter 28. And the Scriptures we read are the, are the words of Jesus. And he clearly gave us two instructions. First of all, that we as individuals are to be disciples. He said to his disciples, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you something. He said, if any man will come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Because it's about the mission. About the mission that Jesus is giving us. And so, if we are going to be about the mission, we have to deny ourselves. And we have to submit. And that's what, that's what submission is. Submission. The word sub, we use the word submarine. The word submission means my mission under another mission. And so we submit to the mission of Jesus by denying ourselves, taking up our cross. There may be suffering, there will be suffering, and we follow Jesus. He said, if you want to try and save your life, you're going to lose it. And if you're willing to give your life and lose your life for the sake of Jesus Christ, you will find it. So there are two things here in our text. First of all, we as individuals are called to be disciples. You and I, that is what our calling is. Not just to be Christians, but to be disciples. And true Christians will be disciples. 
The second thing was in Matthew 28 verse 19, which we call the Great Commission. That word commission is made up of two words, co-mission. Co-meaning together. And so who are we doing it with? We're doing it with God. It's the Great Commission because He tells us to go into all the world and make disciples. And it's the Great Commission. Why? Because God is going to empower us to do that work. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the outermost parts of the earth. And so we are called to be disciples and we are called to make disciples. We are disciples making disciples. That is what we are all about as Christians. Being a disciple of Jesus is a lot different than just coming to church once or twice a week. Coming to church is where we get refueled and we hear and we are instructed and we are reproved, all of those things. It keeps us on the right track. But that's not what being a Christian is or being a disciple. It's not just about coming to church. Yes, we can come and we can get excited by the preaching, even inspired. The worship service may move us and the worship service may be nice. And we may respond and we may feel the presence of God. We may worship God, but that's not necessarily discipleship. Unless we are being changed, unless we are growing. You see, to enjoy fellowship with our friends, our Christian friends. Fellowship is apostolic. The Bible says they continued in fellowship. But that alone is not discipleship. See, the goal and the cornerstone of everything that we do as Christians, which is going to bring glory to God, is that we become a true follower of Jesus. To deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. And to follow his word, to live like Jesus lived, to, to look at the way Jesus spoke and to speak like he speaks, to look at the world through Jesus' eyes and to be able to see the world the way Jesus sees it. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a disciple, a true disciple. And so we are called to be disciples, every single one of us. And as disciples, I'll talk about this later, we must be growing. And so discipleship is that developmental pro process. It is a progress. It's progressive that we go from spiritual infants to spiritual maturity. We must be growing as Christians. And you know what? We never stop growing as Christians. We must, we ne my dad used to say, you're, you're either green and growing or you're dead and dying. We must grow. And so I hope, I hope that some of us can look back over to 2022 in January 25, 2022 and say, you know what? I've grown in God. I've grown in my knowledge of the word. I've grown in my relationship with God. I can say that I have grown. Maybe some here tonight will, will be able to say, well, pastor, I don't think I've grown. I think last year, I was a lot closer to God and I was a much better Christian last year and, and maybe, maybe some parts of my Christian life have died and I'm not where God wants me to be. You see, discipleship never ends. It is a process, a developmental process where we grow from an infant to spiritual maturity. 
And I don't know if you can actually see all the words on that screen, but it, it, it and nor can I because of my, the lights up there. But first of all, obviously, we've got to be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When we are born again, we cross that chasm of sin that separates us from God. And so when we first become a Christian, we're a baby. We are very dependent, so, uh, so um, dependent on other, other people to help us. We need guidance, all right? And, so, and then as, as we get guidance and as children grow, just like the ch- ch- child-growing process, then we can become very self-focused, but then we need to grow and then keep growing to become more kingdom focused and realize that it's not just about me, it's about the kingdom of God. And then as we become more kingdom focused, we begin to realize, you know what? There's people, there are new people that are coming to Jesus and I want to I wanna start making disciples. I want to help them. I want to come alongside them and to mentor and teach and example all of those things and make disciples. And then you eventually become spiritual grandparents where you're making disciple makers. So you make a disciple and then you make another disciple and then you make another disciple. You see, this is what our calling is to do. This is the way we're going to reach the world. And Jesus said, go into the world. I know over over the Christmas New Year, we passed 8 billion people. Jesus said for us, the church to go into the world. And we think, well, what difference can we make to 8 billion people? So discipleship. This is how we fill the man, fulfill the mandate that Jesus gave us to go into the world. We to make disciples in our home. In our home, our children, we're working to make disciples. At work, in the church, we're helping the, the new ones that know Jesus to, to know the Lord more and to walk in his ways. Through mentoring, through volunteering at school. The mission of every Christian and every church is to make disciples. I don't care how many theological letters you have after your name and how many Bible schools you've been to. The bottom line of our existence as Christians is to make disciples. It doesn't matter if you know the whole Bible backwards and frontwards and inside out. You can read it in Greek and Hebrew, speak Hebrew, speak Greek, all that sort of stuff. If you're not making disciples, then we might as well just all go play bingo or something, one preacher said. Or go to the aviation museums, David. That's a good idea. But our purpose as Christians is to make disciples. Jesus didn't say make converts. He didn't say win souls. He said what? Make disciples. And so that sounds impossible to reach the whole world. But Jesus told us how to do it. It's not impossible if we do it the way Jesus did it. If we are obedient to the scriptures, it's not impossible. Here's an example. Listen carefully. Do the maths in your head if you can. The world's most powerful evangelist. Let's say there is a great evangelist, the most powerful evangelist in the world, and he wins 1,000 souls to Jesus each day for his entire life. He goes, leads people to Jesus, 
They're born again, and he, and he impacts 1,000 souls every day of his life. You know, he wouldn't even go close to reaching his generation. The sums, if he lived for 80 years, he would reach 29,200,000 people. That's just a little more than Australia. So how are we going to reach the world? Well, obviously, an evangelist who can win 1,000 souls a day isn't going to cut it. And that's not what Jesus said. He told all of us to make disciples. However, if one person can disciple one person a year, and that one person can disciple one person. So we had one. Now we have two. They disciple the next year. Now we have four. And then we have eight. No, 16. And then I stopped counting there. You can get your calculator out. So if we follow the simple instruction, and some people are really smart trying to do it in their head, you know. But if one can reach one, and then that one can reach one, and, and we continue just to disciple one soul a year, this could yield the amazing result of the earth's population being discipled, not just converted, in one generation. 8,589 million people you see that is how jesus told us to reach the world and so you think isn't that crazy how on earth can we as christians reach the world well if we do it the, the way jesus told us we can and so every single one of us our goal is souls to disciple to disciple people and we need as disciples of jesus we need to be disciple making disciples now the term discipleship came up. It was first used, this word discipleship. We know the word disciples was in the Bible, but the, the term discipleship was first used by a man named Charles Adams. And I was looking up a little bit about history. And, and in 1850, he used this word. And he broke the phrase, making disciples into two parts, bringing people to Christ, which he labeled as, as evangelism, and then growing people up in Christ, which he labeled as discipleship. And so when Charles Adams began to use the word discipleship and, and to begin to focus on discipleship, there was a lot of debate that began to happen. You see, what's more important? I mean, he made a distinction between winning souls and discipling people. And there is a difference. He made, he made a distinction between the two. And people began to debate. What's more important, winning souls or discipling people? Now, if I'm on a plane, 300,000 feet in the air, and I look out the window, I don't wonder which wing is most important. They're both important. They're both important. You won't land without those wings. And the same is with, with disciple making. Evangelism is critical. Discipleship is critical. Without evangelizing and bringing people to faith in Jesus and bringing people to begin to put their trust in Jesus and, and to be born again. Without evangelism, there's nobody to disciple. And so there is the, the reach of the church, evangelism. But once somebody's in the church and given their life to Jesus, it is to us 
our responsibility to help make disciples. In many ways, we can do that. We can come alongside. We can teach a Bible study. We, we example that in our lifestyle. We can pray with them. We can talk to them, listen to them. But this is it. Our mission is to make disciples. Somebody say amen. <laughs> and that road to discipleship is never ending. And we ought to aim, every single one of us, to be able to Disciple one person a year to see one soul, yes, reached, converted, but discipled and living for Jesus. That's the plan that God has for us in reaching the world. And it doesn't end. You don't get to 70 and just say, you know what, I'm checking out now. I've done enough. I've done enough. I'm just going to kind of cruise into the dock at the end of life and just going to take the foot off the accelerator. And I've done enough. No, we keep the disciple, discipling never stops. Brother Buckland, I told the leaders and we were at the conference, he, it was our 70th year as a church, the United Pentecostal Church of Australia. And he talked, to, his title of his message was Reproduction After the 70th Year. And he showed through the, the Bible so many times where people were still moving and working in the plan of God after they were 70 and so discipleship never stops. I, I was with a lady in hospital, and, and she was basically on her deathbed. And she said, you know what? I just want to reach one more soul for Jesus. I just want to tell one more person about Jesus. I just want to encourage one more person. You see, what, wherever age we are, we don't stop being disciples, and we, the mission doesn't, our mission doesn't stop being discipleship. Go make disciples. Now, evangelism is important, and converts, converts aren't bad, converts aren't, aren't wrong. New converts are like babies, the Bible says. And there's nothing wrong with being a baby. We all start out that way. As you saw on the little chart, we all start out being a baby. The problem comes when that doesn't change. Imagine someone walking with a pram, Malachi, with a pram in there, and, oh, what a cute little baby. How old is he? He's 35. Oh my goodness, your heart sinks, doesn't it? And instead of cute, you think, how sad. And it's the same. There's nothing wrong with new converts. They are like babies. We love babies. But when a, when a baby acts like a baby, it's cute, very cute when a baby acts like a baby. But when a 35-year-old is still a baby, it's sad. And that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childhood behind me. And so we get excited when somebody's born again, a new baby's born. But what happens next? We must go on and help them become a disciple of Jesus Christ. We read in the book of Acts, it says, and they continued steadfastly in fellowship, in breaking of bread, in, in studying and in prayer, all of those things. There were small groups, and that's, we're going to be starting our small groups in, in February, and that's another place where we can be discipled and we can make disciples. Praise the Lord. Make disciples. It is our calling. Now, before I talk about any more about making disciples and how we make disciples, let's talk about us, disciples. 
Because I don't want us to get so focused on making disciples that we neglect what God wants us to be first. Because to make disciples, you have to be a disciple yourself. Don't make the mistake of doing without first being. When somebody tries to make a disciple and they're not a disciple themselves. You see, being a disciple is more than just what you gave up. Well, some people say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't go here. Don't go here. Don't watch this. Don't listen to that. Don't speak like that. Don't smoke this. Don't drink that. that I'm a Christian. These are all the things I don't do. That's great. When you become a Christian, there are some things that you no longer do. But when you become a Christian, there are a whole lot of things that you start doing. We are not Christians by subtraction. I ask you, when you became a Christian, what did you start doing? And so to be spiritually fit, everyone say fit. Fit. And I want to use this little acronym, fit. To make disciples, we need to be spiritually fit. The first F stands for God working for us. Of course, to be a disciple, we must first be born again. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel, Paul said. We must obey the gospel. Embrace what God has done for us. Embrace the cross where Jesus purchased our salvation. That we were saved from an eternity without God. That we have been born again. That God has something, done something for us. But that, there's more than being a Christian than just what God has done for you. We must allow God to do something in us. And that's the I, for us and in us. After we are born, we are expected to grow. And it's the same when we're born again, we are expected to grow. A pr an old preacher once said, he tells about a group of tourists. They, vi they visited this picturesque little village and he walked along. Uh, they were walking along the, the sidewalk there and there was an old man sitting beside the fence. And in a rather patronizing way, one tourist said, he said, were there many great men born in this village? Were there many great men born in this village? And the old man replied, he said, no, no, just babies, just babies. You see, the question, it was a silly question, but it brought a profound answer. Because there are no instant heroes. Whether in this world or in the kingdom of God, there are no instant heroes. Growth takes time. And you say, were there any great men of God? No, they were born a baby just like everyone else, but they grew. Any, anything that is born is expected to grow. Are there great Christians born? No, just babies. Are there great fruit-bearing trees that are just born? No, they start out as seeds. And so allow God to do a work in us. Everybody say, in me. John 15, 5 to 8, talks about this. Says, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If any man does not abide. Okay, you're picking up the theme about abiding. If, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and he's withered. And they gather them and they throw those branches into the fire and they are burned. But. If you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So God has done a work for us at the cross, but now we need to let him do a work in us. And so the question after reading that portion of scripture right there in John 15, you've got to ask yourself this question. Where are you abiding? Because <laughs> that's it. He's, Jesus says, if you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to grow. There's going to be fruit. But if you don't abide, there's not going to be any fruit. So this is not just a one-off experience. It's an abiding abiding in Jesus what your life produces the scripture tells us what our life is going to produce is going to depend on where we are abiding now I want to encourage you in 2023 get connected to the vine stay connected to the vine get abiding in Jesus in Philippians 2 verse 13 it says for it is God which worketh in you both to do to will and to do his good pleasure let God not just work for you, but let him do a work in you. Hebrews 12 verse 11. Now we don't like this one. This is one maybe you most certainly wouldn't have this one underlined in your Bible, I don't think. Because it's talking about chastening. Hebrews 11 verse 12. The writer of Hebrews saying, I've been chastened by God. He's cut me down. No, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. When God chastens us or he allows circumstances in our life to chasten us, it doesn't, it's not joyous, but it's grievous. Oh God, why? Why have you allowed this? Why are you doing this, God? It's grievous. Nobody likes it. But he, look at these words. Nevertheless, afterward. Everybody say afterward. Now, we live in a generation that doesn't like this word afterward. Because the benefits come after the hard times. So a lot of people go on diets at the beginning of the year. You know what? When you go on a diet afterward, you will see the results. You don't get them instantly. We love to live in a microwave society where we can just get everything instantly. You want to get big muscles, you go to the gym for six months, and you know what? It's not nice, it's grievous. But afterward, afterward it yieldeth. And this is what the Bible says. He says, you know, sometimes we may be chastened by God, but afterward it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see, it's these seasons of afterwards. Sometimes yeah, it's about abiding, but sometimes God's going to, cut and prune and, and, and clean us up. It's not going to feel nice, but you know what? Afterward, it's going to yield peaceable fruit. Not, not just God doing a work for us, but allow God to do work in us. And so the enemy knows that, you know, he, he, the enemy wants us to throw a pity party, suck our thumb, throw a tantrum and say, you know, this is happening and, you know, I, I, I'm just going to, I just can't do this. I'm just going to walk away from God, curse God and die. The devil knows that if we, would, if we would stay abiding in Jesus, if we would allow him to do a work in us, that God can use us in such a mighty way. It's these seasons of afterwards. Even after the children of Israel came out of Egypt, 
Yep, they saw some great things. They saw miracles. They were set free. But where did they end up in the wilderness? Everybody say the wilderness. The wilderness was as much a plan, much as just as much the plan of God as was the cross, miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. The wilderness was as much the plan of God. It was there by God's design. Why? Because God was doing a work in his people. So to be spiritually fit, you've got to allow God to do a work for you and allow God to do a work in you. And Job said these words. He said, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, afterward, after he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. If you want to become gold, stay abiding in Jesus. Whatever it takes, whatever you go through, sometimes it may seem grievous, sometimes it may be hard, sometimes we're going to be tried in the fire and there's going to be tests. But I want to tell you, if you allow God to do a work in you, you will bear fruit. I'm talking about being spiritually fit. We've got to get to the point of spiritual maturity. And this is a challenge where we embrace the cutting in a way, where we embrace the purifying fire where we embrace the pruning and say, God, it's not nice, but I'm trusting you. I'm not going anywhere. God, I know I'm going to come through this and you're doing a work in me. And if we would allow God to do a work for us, and if we would allow God to do a work in us, then God can do a work through us. I want God to use me. And that's how, that's, and the best way God can use you is to make disciples. And I pray that before we leave tonight, as you sit there, that you're thinking about somebody. Maybe you can think about a soul you can evangelize to. But start thinking about somebody who you can disciple and help them grow in God. If we will allow God to do a work in us, he can do a work through us. And so the good news is, this whole idea of discipleship, it's not hard. Everyone say, it's not hard. If you can make a friend, you can make a disciple. And some people go, well, that discounts me. I don't like people. (laughs) Well, get over yourself. Pray about it. Let God do a work in your life so you like people. All right. (laughs) You can make a disciple if you can make a friend. So how did Jesus disciple? First of all, And I talked about this last night with the leaders, so bear with me, leaders. Association. Everyone say association. Jesus was intimately involved in the lives of the disciples. He was there. His training method was spending time with his disciples. Now, in the 21st century, people have become very guarded of their time. In fact, Some people would rather give money before they give time. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's not us, of course. But there are some people that have so much money, but they're much more protective of their time. They're like, well, I'll just just pay, you know. We become very guarded of our time. We don't want to spend time. We want to send them somewhere else. 
Can I send them to a class? Can I send them to this great disciple maker in the church? And you know what? I'll pay for the lunch. You know, I just, I just, I'm very guarded of my time. That's not the way Jesus was. He spent time with people. Discipleship happens in relationships. We should be in the lives of, the, of people that we are seeking to disciple. We should schedule time with people outside of church, outside of normal church functions to encourage them, to do a Bible study with them, to pray with them, to, to help them grow in their walk with God. You see, and this is, where, this is where a lot of people stop. They said, you're telling me it's going to require something. I come to church, pastor. You know, I even put some money in the offering sometimes. Jesus said, our purpose is to make disciples. And so you've got to associate with people. You can't be a hermit, you know, and, and that's a good reason for some people to, to be in the workplace. I know over the last two years, a lot of people working from home, and that's what a great initiative that is. You can get some stuff done, but you know what? You don't want to get so isolated from people that you can't make any impact. You've got to associate with people. And you know what? Here's the reality. I'm a pastor. I deal with people all the time. And normally, all the dealings I have with people is, is when they've got problems. <laughs> Nobody rings the pastor and says, Pastor, I just wanted to uh, book an appointment with you. I've got about an hour. I just want to tell you all the good things that are going on in my life. A brother from church rang me the other day. We had a quick conversation. He rang me. I said, so how can I help you? Is everything all right? He said, everything's fantastic. I'm like, Wow. That's the sort of call I like. But I've been a pastor. And when you, when you start getting involved with people, it can be messy. It can be messy. It's not always easy. Sometimes it can be awkward. But if we're going to make disciples, we have to associate with people to sacrifice our time, our energy, even our emotions in others so that we can fulfill the Great Commission to make disciples. And it's not just having coffee together. It doesn't happen by osmosis, you know. There has to be an impartation. And Jesus imparted not only of himself, but he also spoke spiritual truths about life and ministry. Jesus taught them the scriptures. He imparted of himself, but he also imparted of the truth of the word of God. It is important for us to grasp tonight that we have a spiritual responsibility to associate and to impart. And here's the next one. To demonstrate. The old saying, <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. Parents used to say that to their kids when I was young. My parents never said it, but I heard it plenty of times. Do what I say, not what I do. And that's a, just a bad excuse for bad behavior, you know. But that's not the way discipleship happens. You cannot... Get away from the fact that we've got to be an example. And Jesus did exactly that in discipling. He demonstrated. He not only imparted and taught and said, but he demonstrated how a disciple should live. And you may be a leader, even in the church, you may be a leader. And leadership is about delegating tasks. But here's one thing you cannot delegate. You cannot delegate the responsibility of being an example. 
demonstration, to example, to model it. You see, it's important for us to grasp this responsibility. One reason Jesus had such a lasting impact on the disciples is because of his daily example before them. He walked the talk. He lived faith in the real world. He prayed before them. He fed the poor. He had compassion on the multitude. He healed the sick. Jesus lived the life that he wanted to reproduce in his disciples. And so we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We, we are a disciple. Now we want to help somebody else become a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be willing to deny themselves, to be willing to take up their cross and to follow Jesus. And then for them, when they become a disciple, is to say, you know what? They're going to start discipling someone else. That's the only way we can fulfill the Great Commission. Don't compartmentalize your life. That's the next point I've got. Make discipleship part of your life. A lot of people, they're very organized and they've got a schedule and they've got a calendar and you can't do it like this. You can't just you know, say, well, Saturday morning between 9 and 12, they're my discipleship hours. You can't, you can't do it. You can't compartmentalize your life. You can't jump from one, one sort of thing to, and then say, I'm in uh, work mode. Okay, jump over. Now I'm in holiday mode. And I don't do anything about work. And of course, no discipleship when I'm holidaying. And then back into work mode. And you're like, okay, well, you know what? Pastor, he preached all right on Wednesday night. I feel a bit challenged. Maybe I'll jump over here into the, the discipleship world for a little while. And uh, got a bit of time. and do No, you can't compartmentalize it. It's not like that. It's, it's, it's the reason that we are alive is to make disciples. And so when I take the kids to sport, I've got to be in discipleship mode. When I'm at the shops, who knows? Who knows what the situation may present? I'm in discipleship mode. At Bible study, I'm in discipleship mode. At work, I'm in discipleship mode. In my social media, I'm in discipleship mode. You see, we've got to be an example in every part of our life. You can't compartmentalize it and say, it's, I do that at this time. It's who we are. Eating meals as a family. When you're with your children, eating a meal around the table, you're discipling. Sunday afternoons when you're meeting up with other people and you've got some time to go out for lunch, take someone along. It's discipling. If you're married, serve God with your spouse. Make disciples together. The next thing, listen and pray. People need someone to listen to them. And discipling is not just about saying, okay, here you go, here's a 10-step process. Sometimes you've just got to give the time to listen and to pray. Don't be goal-orientated. Be people-orientated. Don't keep looking at the clock. Focus on people. And Sister Melanie said that, Last night when she was teaching, she said, when you walk into a room, we must have an attitude that says, not here I am when we arrive. But disciples, disciple makers, when they walk into a room, they say, there you are. They're focused on other people. They're people people. They're, they're disciple makers. They want to lead people to Jesus. They want to help people grow. Listen and pray. Don't become so goal-orientated. Be people-orientated. Listen and love. And the next thing is be patient and let people grow. Everybody say patient. You know, not everyone's going to learn or, or be able to um, 
you know, become like Jesus, just like you did, you know, it's not going to happen that way. Some people, when they first become a Christian, they give their life to God. I know there's one brother here tonight. God delivered him from alcohol and cigarettes like that. But the tongues needed some more work to fix up the, the bad language. And we might, we might get impatient and say, what is this guy? He keeps dropping those, those bad words. What's, I, I'm just going to find someone else who's... Be patient. Let them grow. They're not going to be like you. And you might say, well, I was able to give the cigarettes up on day one. What's wrong with this person? Be patient. Love them. Let them grow. We all grow in different ways. Be patient. Let people grow. Don't expect everyone to be like you. And so what did Jesus do? He associated. He exampled. He imparted. He, he gave people time. He, he exampled things. He listened. He prayed. Jesus even led a small group for three years. And you know what happened? Peter denied him. Jesus was patient and loving. Peter made a, made a comeback. He was restored. He preached the inaugural sermon on the day of Pentecost that laid the foundation for the New Testament church. You know, that, that person that you're discipling, yeah, they may really be frustrating you, just like Peter. But you know what? They may, they may do something great for God if you would just be patient. We may get frustrated that, that we're just, our disciples, are move, the people we're trying to disciple are, are moving at a snail's pace, but you will never know the impact until the end. You will never know the impact until the end. Be patient. Let people grow. You see, we are, everyone say, I am a disciple. And everybody say, disciples make disciples. That is our responsibility. And tonight, that is my challenge to every single one of us. This year, keep reaching for the lost, but come alongside somebody and help disciple them. Help disciple them and lead them in their walk with God. Yes, God has done a work in them. Let Help God do a work through them and, and help them to also become a disciple maker. And then they're going to make a disciple. And then they're going to make a disciple. And we see how it works. That's how we can reach the world. Very simple lesson tonight. But that's, this is what it's all about. And every program in this church, our, our youth get together on Friday nights. They have a great time. Sometimes if you come here on Friday night, they'll be playing games, whacking each other with foam and all that sort of stuff, foam sticks and, and playing games. And you think, what on earth has this got to do with making disciples? Well, it's not about the game. It's about connecting with people. It's about developing relationships. And the men, when we, we go away on a fishing trip and everybody loves fishing and we go away, the purpose is not to catch fish. We can buy fish from the shop. It'd be cheaper actually after you consider how much we pay with bait and petrol and all of those things. I remember some men, they were so embarrassed to come home to their wives without any fish, they went to the fish shop. No names mentioned. But we don't go fishing for the sake of it. We go, yeah, we're going to have fun, but we're going to be with other men, be able to develop relationships and help disciple people to become more like Jesus. You see, that's our calling, brothers and sisters. That's when you walk out of church. This is, it's, this is not 
discipleship, coming to church. Yes, we are being discipled in the teaching. And this is not making disciples. Now we're going to go refueled. Maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe God has spoken to you about not being a hermit anymore. Get out. Meet some people. Talk to some people about Jesus. Associate. Or maybe you've got people that you associate with. Maybe God's saying, you've got to have the boldness to begin to, to tell your testimony to them. To impart to them. Maybe they've already been born again. To be able to help them and guide them in their walk with God. To listen to them and pray with them. That they may become more and more like Jesus. You see, discipleship ultimately is to become like Jesus. And we never stop being disciples. And until Jesus comes back, we never stop discipling. Because true disciples make disciples. Amen? Praise God. Well, we're going to stand. We're going to close in prayer. Thank you for your patience tonight. This is our, our theme. I mean, what, what other theme could we have? This is the bottom line. And as you walk out of the church, I know those words have been there. And I don't want to ask who, who hasn't even noticed them. Probably all the men, you know. When I go home, my wife says to me, she goes, did you see what I've done? I'm like, that's the worst question you could ask. I'm like, I feel like lying and saying, yes. But I didn't. I'm like, what, what, what did you do? She goes, you can't see it? I'm like, no. Well, there's probably lots of men that haven't seen those words yet. But now, as you walk out tonight, look at them. And as you walk out every Sunday, remember, church is not a place I come to. It's a place I go from. And I want to go. I want to make disciples. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that we are here. Lord, in these last days, you could have called Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But, Lord, you have called us into the kingdom for such a time as this. Help us, O oh God, to come to grips and to get a revelation, Lord God, and to give of ourselves, Lord God, that we are to make disciples of you. Lord God, Lord, it's not just about our own salvation, but Lord, we want to see others converted and we want to see them discipled, Lord, and then making disciples themselves. Lord God, help us in this way. Help us to remember what we've learned tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would put a burden on every single one of us. Lord God, that we, Lord, are here on earth to do your work. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen.